This is the Tactical Leader Podcast, where we're on a journey of self-mastery and true leadership. I believe that in order to lead others, you must first be able to lead yourself. And in order to lead yourself, you have to first know yourself. If you want to learn the tactics to get to know yourself, to lead yourself, and to lead others, stay tuned to hear from industry experts as I unpack the tactics that they've used to build their business, build culture, and lead others. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to another episode of The Tactical Leader. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Katie Campbell, the founder of Colibri Magic. And we're going to talk a little bit about her journey as an executive leadership coach, EQ expert, and overall a cultural change expert. Before we begin, I'll remind you that this show is brought to you by Be a Tactical Leader, where we help folks do just that, be the tactical leader that they desire to be in their business. If you want to find out more about some of the events we're hosting, head over to beatactualleader.com forward slash events to find out more. Katie, welcome to the show. Thanks so much. It's great to be here with you. I'm super excited about this. I know we've had it on the agenda to get this knocked out for a couple months now. And with mayhem happening between our lives and all the scheduling, we stay busy. And before we dive into really who you are, I want people to just get a good overview that you're an executive coach. You've worked with more than 25,000 leaders, probably more, honestly, to help them build scale and deepen leadership impact. You've worked across multiple industries and really study what excellence in leadership looks like. And you've used that experience to influence and shape how leaders take on the challenges and opportunities of an ever-evolving world. You're also a former military spouse, so there's probably lots of conversation to have about that one as the Army guy. Single mom of two girls, an excellent cook. Man, you're just like rattling off all the award-winning pieces because cooking's like difficult. Sorry. I'm, it's, I'm used to like MREs and stuff, right? <laughs> you're a practical alchemist, friendly to all, and friend of the people who know how to go deep. And as we get the bio, I know I do want to know a fun fact about you. And I feel like practical alchemist might be a fun fact to explain to folks. And I don't know if that has to do with like alcohol or like your mixologist. Probably not. Probably not. I can make a, I can make an amazing gin martini, but the fun fact might be, it's a little bit in the bio, but the way that I relieve stress is by cooking. So the more stressful the day, the more complex the recipe needs to be. So I might use all the pots and pans in my kitchen, but when I do business meetings, I love doing them over a meal, but I like doing it over a shared meal at my house. So if you're in San Antonio, and you want to link up, or even if I come to your city and you let me in your kitchen, I'd rather meet with you and break bread over a family table versus a dining table at a restaurant. You know, it's so funny how that, I guess, disarms people, right? You start driving that barrier where you can break bread with folks, and especially when it's in a private, intimate setting like that. But I do have to ask, you say you love cooking. What's your favorite meal to cook? It's anything Italian. Well, I'm a pretty much a grill master. I had to live nice. through a house renovation where I didn't have a kitchen for like six months. Yeah. And I learned to cook everything on the grill. So there's about nothing you can't throw at me that I can't cook on the grill, but anything Italian. And I'm, I want to do one of those DNA tests simply to know that I have a half percentage of Italian lineage because anything with a marinara sauce, if you know, I can turn it into something that seems gourmet. And so the practical alchemist is not just a thing that I use for work. It also happens with cooking. So I can take the most basic recipe or read seven recipes about the same thing and then create something that is a combination of all of it. And it ends up tasting better than any of the individual ones. So at work, it's sort of the same thing too. It's about working your magic somewhere, but it's on something that's practical. So 
if you come to me and you say, Katie, I've got this problem with my team or I'm trying to solve something for my business, it's working the magic and which really pulling the goodness out of you so that you're inspired, you know exactly what you need to do when you hang up the Zoom or hang up the call and you know, off you go and you hit success. And when you, I ask you a week later, how'd it go? You go like, I don't know what you did, but I had everything I needed and, and it was a success just like you said it was going to be. So it's the same kind of way. It's just sprinkling the best kind of fairy dust on something, but really what it is extracting the goodness from a lot of different sources. And by work professionally, it's on the people, right? You're the source. On the recipes, it's from the genius of eight different cooks that turn into the best um, chicken parmesan you've ever had. <laughs> and my better half is Italian. So it's funny. She, when I said, when I'm talking about you being a great cook, she's that, that gene skipped her for some reason in her family. We go to holidays and Thanksgiving coming up. I'm uh, about to gain 15 pounds of homemade lasagna and our homemade pasta, excuse me. Every year it's a different type of pasta that I get to enjoy. But you start talking about Italian food and it, it makes me laugh because I'm like already salivating about the holidays coming up and then realizing I'm glad it's not like beach season right now because it goes so bad in the Italian families. <laughs> You're a very lucky man. Very. And, and there's one other piece that I, I want to make sure that I highlight because it's something that. I saw in your bio and in your background, and it's an organization that you support called Stand Beside Them. And you mentioned, I mentioned you being a, a former military spouse. With my newer 501c, Advancing the Line for Veterans, there's a big piece that we support veterans through entrepreneurship and really use entrepreneurship as a way to engage them to create their own new purpose and passion. But you've been involved with Stand Beside Them. Can you give us a, just a little bit of a, a rundown on your involvement with Stand Beside Them as the organization and why you felt the need to be engaged with them? A hundred percent. And I'm so glad that's what you pulled out of the bio. I could talk about them all day. So when I became a certified leadership coach, I knew that I had struck gold in terms of something that I love to do. And I knew that it was going to serve any client that I worked with. But as a military spouse at the time, former military spouse now, I knew how underserved that community was, especially when you were thinking about transitioning out of the military or even getting, whether you were separating from the military or you're retiring, it's a, it is a big leap trying to launch yourself into the commercial sector in, in any way, shape, or form. I knew this from working in organizations. They were terrible at reading a resume from a military person and not seeing all of the gold, all of the leadership, all of the courage, the sacrifice, the intellect, the training. They missed all of that. And the military people coming out of the service were not really coached in how to talk about their experience. What I found is they were super humble or just didn't have the skill set about how to talk about themselves. Because it's, you know, the way that people get promoted, as you know, I don't have to explain it to you, and a lot of your audience is not the same way you get promoted in the public sector so or even the private sector. So the I found out about the organization. I was living in Washington, D.C., and I said, I've got to volunteer. And through that process, I've met some amazing men and women who have who have phenomenal stories and for whatever reason got stuck on their way to, to transition out of the military. And so through my coaching, have been able to help them secure jobs. And in fact, one of my favorite stories is this, this man, I can't tell you all about his story, but he went from literally making no money. He was, he's way smarter than I am, got into better universities than I did, decorated army ranger, but he just kind of got stuck in a loop and was really underemployed for about seven years. And when we started working together, he just said, I just need to be making money. My wife needs me to bring in some income too. We want to have a family. By the time the six months was over, 
This man had secured a better job than I did. He was making way more money than I was. He secured an amazing sign-on bonus. And it wasn't necessarily anything that I did for him except to help him start to believe in himself and to also learn how to navigate and really promote himself within the private sector. And once he did and the, the skill picked up and he is he's doing phenomenally well now. And it's exciting to see. And so I get a lot of joy out of doing that. It's completely pro bono, which is awesome. And there's a lot besides leadership and business coaching. There's a lot of other, there's personal life coaching, health coaching, navigating the VA, navigating, just putting your resume together when you're trying to transition out of the military. So standbesidethem.org was founded by a woman who just out of the goodness of her heart said, I feel like this is missing in the market. And there are coaches now in every state in the United States. There's all different kinds of coaches. And I really encourage any of your listeners, and you don't have to be just in like just transitioning now. It could be five years later and you're stuck or you need to level up, you need some help. They're a great organization. It costs you nothing but time and a little bit of effort to just to take the coaching. Looking at the website, I was sitting here as you were talking about it, kind of going through and flipping through a little bit of it. Sounds like it has some amazing impact for vets and you said something that I find really interesting, and I, I would love to transition this conversation into what from something you just said to what you're actually doing now. And you mentioned marketing. Guys don't know how to market the guys, gals, vets don't know how to market themselves. And we stand on four pillars. Our first pillar is actually marketing. And we talk about not only from a podcast, but building stages. ATL vets, we build stages to have veterans talk about themselves. But a lot of our coaching goes into that. How do you talk about yourselves? How do you talk about your journey? And it's so funny, I just, and, and you mentioned it when we first started, first started chatting, I just hosted a general Petraeus for a few events and mm -hmm. having a four-star general get on a stage in front of a thousand people, he can obviously talk about himself. He was doing a book release and it was all about his expertise in warfare since 1945. Amazing individual, amazing experience, but eloquent as a four-star. And now he's transitioned. He's actually the head of global development for KKR, which is the largest investment banking firm in the world. Right. So he obviously has some capacity to market several things, but that's not a standard thing that you see in veterans, but it's also not a standard thing you see in entrepreneurship, business ownership. Innately, I think humans are, are not great at or don't forward think that piece about marketing. So can you give me just insights of some of the, the lessons you've seen or how you help people transition into talking about themselves in a, a more positive way, especially? Part of it, yeah, absolutely. And I see this too, because I do a lot of work with entrepreneurs here in Texas and then also out of Baltimore. And I do notice that as well. I think it's from the military perspective, you are not trained to self-promote. You pr get promoted, you get recognized, you are awarded for getting the mission done, for bravery, for valor, for all of those different things. But you're the more that you stand out, sometimes that can work against you, right? In the system. And that's not the purpose. The purpose is to serve. It's service. So you don't see that promotion coming out of individuals. Nowadays, with most of the people that I work with, a lot of millennials, a lot of Gen Xers, if we're, and then and baby boomers, we still weren't raised in a generation that self-promotion was a big thing. It is for more for early millennials, Gen, and, and all the other generations they're following now. That's become more of a norm. And so a lot of it is working with people to build their confidence, but also just to draw out what makes them unique and to celebrate that. So Petraeus is a great example because he's had a number of years now in the private sector where he's been able to learn some of those skills. And even as a general officer, as a flag officer, 
they learn some of that to be able to sit at certain tables, but they don't do it to say it's me. They're still doing it on behalf of the army or the air force or whomever, whatever service they're coming from. And so it's really getting people comfortable with talking about what makes them unique, really drawing out their unique gifts and skills and being comfortable letting that come out front. So I see this with business owners too. They're kind of excited about the product. And what they miss is that people are buying the skills, they're buying the product or the service, but they're also buying you. So really helping them to draw out, why, are, why, am I, why do I want to invest in you? You know, why should I buy from you? And it's really getting them comfortable saying, no, I am a person of value. Yes, you can trust me. And weaving that into, or alongside of, I guess I should say, of how they pitch their business or their service. Yeah, I think that's such an important piece. I know you host multiple events and and really engage in several different ways. You do everything from coaching, consulting, speaking, but I'd love to kind of hit on retreats that you host. Mm-hmm. Because I think, as you mentioned from the get-go, something about being in person, breaking bread, being at the dinner table, right? It, it allows people to engage in a different capacity. I actually have my very first retreat coming up in February that I'm doing a three-day retreat, kind of an intensive thing. And people are nervous about it. People are like, oh, I don't know what to expect. I don't know if it's actually going to work. But I see it work so well in our space, especially if you can get vets in the same room together. Can you give us some insights about what you conquer these retreats for attendees? One of the biggest things is making people feel comfortable, allowing their, the emotions and the, the emo- their emotional side actually surface. I see this. I just got off of, of doing four different leadership retreats two for women, one that was just men, and then one that was co-ed. And it's a big part of what we do. It's allowing people to be vulnerable and to create an atmosphere of intimacy where they can share their true selves. And I'm sure you know this doing the same kind of work. Everybody has a story. Everybody has a story about their family of origin, how they were raised, people that really inspired them to do what they do. A lot of stories are based in trauma and challenges and struggles and overcoming things. But the way that we're raised, especially in the United States and Western culture, we're raised to not honor those feelings. We're raised to not honor those emotions. And by honoring, I mean not just crying to everybody on the street or being unhinged. It's really about being okay saying that you're sad or depressed or anxious or euphoric or joyful. We don't do that. We really, so the retreat setup is to allow people to share their stories, to allow people to grow in the retreats that I've been doing the last several months around their leadership. They were really, we were bringing people together to talk about servant leadership and what does that really look like? Not just having a mindset to serve, but, or a heart space to serve, but how do you tactically do that? Which is, you know, something that you and I have connected over to of how do you put the pieces into place versus just having the intent to do it? And so I think the retreat formats allow people to pull together people in a safe space and really give them the tools that they need to be able to connect in a, in a more deep way, but that always is in an emotionally based way. So it's counterintuitive, but when people start to get together and they see the power in that, then they can also then make the leap of, what if I was more fully myself, more fully human, more fully alive in the way that I lead, in the way that I'm directing the company, in the way that we're drawing up our strategy, in the way that I talk to investors. And when people get the full capacity of themselves and they can do that from the retreat then into their business. It's amazing what the outcomes can be. So that's a big part of it. It's why I'm so passionate about it is because I can see the business impact by people really spending time 
deeply connecting with each other. And and it's funny, you said something a second ago, talking about emotions and, and driving those emotions for people. On uh, some of your blogs, you've mentioned an F word that people don't like using and not the normal one your people are thinking of, but the F word of feelings and getting feelings engaged into this aspect of it. And obviously with emotional intelligence or EQ, there, there's a big piece attached to having to tap into your feelings, recognize what you're feeling, but also understand like sitting in those feelings is not necessarily a bad thing. As a veteran, especially moving into entrepreneurship over the last several years and helping other veterans that are wanting to be entrepreneurs, I see how important that can be, right? How to actually sit in the feelings that you're feeling, whatever they may be, and understand what that feeling is and how it can actually impact everything that's going on around you. Can you talk to us a little bit about that piece and how you really help people unlock the best, best version of themselves and attach to those feelings? Yeah, 100%. I think one of the things that I like to teach people is why they have that block around their feelings. So the easiest um, example I could give is, you know, when you typically go into an office or you see somebody on Monday morning and you say, how was your weekend? What are the typical responses that you'd get? So many. Good. <laughs> fine. <laughs> right. It's okay. Right. You know, is what it is. Loving life. That's my uh, go-to catchphrase. <laughs> loving life. Right. But that doesn't tell me, oh, what does that mean? What did he do? Like, what was his really, was his lived experience? And is he being sarcastic or is he being genuine? Like, did he have a great weekend or is he just muddling through like a lot of people are? So, but what we fail to realize is our emotions are the primary source before we even think about anything and before we do anything or get a result. So when we're denying or we're blocking or not paying attention to our emotional state, we're making decisions based on an emotional response, but we don't even know what that is. So we're just thinking about things and then we're doing them and we're kind of shooting from the hip. It's really not a great, it's a gunslinger way of living our lives, but that's how a lot of people do it. And so getting people to the point where they realize they have to slow down to understand their emotions with precision, because then you need to think about what do I want to do with that? And maybe what I need to do with that right now, or what do I need to do with it? Maybe it is to sit in that and really feel it and then decide, what do I want to do? Just want to sit with this? Do I want to say something? Do I want to go somewhere? Because that's going to get us the ultimate impact. And what happens a lot of times is people think, then they do, and they think and they do, and then they wonder why they're not getting the results that they want. They wonder why their relationships are flat or stale or distant. It's because the emotional part isn't there. So a lot of the things that I teach about and I have like behind me, if you can see, I've got two little skeletons that sit on my shelf and they're sitting in meditation poses. Meditation is one of the best ways that people can incorporate as a practice. You don't have to sit in a corner, you know, with your hands up or anything. You don't have to light incense or sit on a pillow. There's a lot of ways to do it, but meditation is a great way to help slow the mind down intentionally. So as you're feeling a big feeling, as you're trying to direct your life, it teaches you to slow down and think about what am I really feeling about this? What should that tell me I should do next? And that's a piece that's missing for a lot of people. I 100% agree with you. And it's so funny as you're talking about this, I'm looking at a couple of different pieces that you, you post recently and a lot of what you're actively doing and what I can appreciate about what you're saying is it everything that you're saying, I think you're actually doing as well, right? There are a lot of people that like to talk about things and like talk about grand ideas. But I think, obviously, this is the Tactical Leader podcast. We're focused on the tactics of actually accomplishing certain things. As you're talking through this piece of it, action becomes a hesitancy for a lot of people from an entrepreneurship space and a 
corporate space, right? You're nervous to maybe rock the boat, if you will. What would you encourage people to do is they're understanding their feelings or trying to chew through those feelings a little bit more. What's like the best tactic for taking that action and actually putting things in emotion to enhance what they're trying to do? So one of the things that I find to be most helpful for people, especially if you're, I'm sure some of your listeners are going, oh my gosh, now I got to think about my emotions. You do. I'm just telling you that you do. Okay. But a way to be able to start to access that is through writing them down or journaling. So not dear diary. I talked to Zach today. It was so amazing. Like it's not a, it's not a, it's not a accounting of your day, but it's really about if you're anxious or nervous or you're hesitating on it, there's a reason why your physical being is stopping you from doing something. And it might just be you need a dose of courage. It might be that the thing that you need to do is slow down and not act. And that's okay. So spending time journaling, writing things out, you don't have to show it to anybody. It doesn't have to be long. It could be bullet points or just words or phrases. But write down how you're actually experiencing life at the moment to then say, okay, but now what do I want to do? Now that I have some of this stuff at the surface, what do I want to do with it? And it's not so that you can spend time ruminating on it. It's really to look at that and saying, you know what? I think I can overcome this. Or, you know what? I think even though I'm feeling all this, I still need to, I still need to take the next step forward. But it's almost like a mini step into taking the action that you're thinking about to get the emotional stuff somewhere where it's not living inside of you all the time. Because when you can see it, now I can do something with it. So if the emotional stuff is like a, a stretch for some people, writing it down can be, and not verbalizing it to anybody, can be a really safe way to kind of, it's a great tactic to walk into that. I recommend it for all sorts of people. That's why I have journals all over my house because I always need to be able to like access that really quickly. And it's easy. You could do it on your phone, but I recommend actually handwriting it. There, there's a piece of, and I, I look over at my desk, I actually have three journals sitting there. And then as we're talking, I take notes on a piece of paper and write it, right? Yeah. There's such a beauty attached to getting things out of your head and on paper. And to your point, there are a lot of folks, especially I'm, I'm a millennial and the, the Gen Z generation, it's all about the electronics. Let me type it out. Let me take notes on an app. I don't agree with that piece. And I really... I truly want to validate to everybody listening, like how much and how impactful writing, journaling, meditating, those things are, are hyper important to get the nonsense, the head trash, if you will, out of your mm -hmm. head onto paper. If nothing else, it's a way to express that. If you don't want to talk to people about it, because a lot of us don't want to talk about it, right? But you can still express it through writing it down. And I think there's a huge value attached to that and, and what you just said about it. And as you move into... Um, really trying to turn into that peak performance, right? A, a lot of what you're talking about are the soft skills attached to being a higher level success for, your, for the individuals in their lives. You've done a lot across Fortune 500 companies, nonprofits, the DOD, federal agencies. You, you've done so much across your gambit. Is there a common blind spot that you've recognized across the different industries or across leaders where You've just seen one consistent blind spot they don't recognize for themselves and you kind of guide towards pointing that out. So, well, so I'm going to I'm going to take you back a couple of sentences because you use the phrase soft skills. And I'm a huge proponent of calling them necessary skills because there is research that backs it up. So the Center for Creative Leadership says that upwards of 75 percent of people who have their careers derailed at some point, not getting laid off or not job fit, I'm talking about derailed, you got fired epically or you completely flamed out, is because of people not having emotional intelligence skills. And if you go to the Google machine and you ask what are the most important professional 
skills and or leadership skills to have. They're going to give you the, all the components that, that underlie emotional intelligence. And so to me, if that's supposed to be the most, and there's tons of research out this, it's not just what Google is telling you. It is academic research that's been done for decades. It's all based in emotion-based behaviors. And so it's emotional intelligence is the thing that derails people. It's also the things that make it so that you'd want to run into a brick wall. Like I can think of, when I worked at the Pentagon, when I was a baby consultant, I worked for this guy who at the time when I joined the office, he was a colonel. He retired as a four-star general. His name's Hawk Carlisle. He's a total badass fighter pilot, but you wouldn't know it when you met him. But he had all of the EQ. He had a way of working with people. He was very clear about his emotions. He's the same guy that would laugh and joke around with you. And he'd cry when something was appropriate to cry. And you think, nah, really? And then it's like, yeah, I would have run through a brick wall. This man had me this close to wanting to go and join the Air Force and become an officer and do all the stuff. And it was because of him. It was the way that he had this emotional connection with people. It wasn't because he was just smart. He was. He went to the Air Force Academy, like he had all the intellect, but it was who he was as a human and the way that he connected with people. Those necessary skills got him the four stars, a hundred percent. And I mean, that's a great point and a great reframing attached to that because that is a hundred percent something. And even in, the, especially in the early days, not even in, but especially in the early days when I was a police officer in Atlanta, it was one of those, you give a lot of power in a gun to somebody that's 21 years old that hasn't actually developed. That's a scary concept, right? It's a lot of authority. That's a lot of things that you have to kind of get in alignment for somebody that is that young. But I, th I see that across, right? That might be an exceptional example, but you kind of see that across different pieces where necessary skills is a huge piece to be recognized as a, somebody that can work with a team, somebody that is likable enough to be promoted, right? I think there's a huge factor that goes into that. And that's a lot of what I see when you're looking at articles now, right now about people leaving the workforce or wanting to have psychological safety. They want to have inclusion. The only way that's going to happen is if you have leadership who has enough emotional intelligence to be able to welcome that, to build those teams, and to also drive high performance, to also drive profits. I mean, this stuff all works in concert with one another. And I think we're going to continue to see the trend move in that direction. But in the meantime, we're also going to see companies that completely go belly up because they do not have that leadership at their home, whether it's at the board level, their executive level, or that's just how they've grown their their people leaders, unfortunately. And honestly, I, I imagine we've already seen it, but most people point a finger at COVID, right? That huge transition where people no longer were side by side and they went to a very virtual, that leadership, I, I believe, and I saw with a lot of clients that a lot of derailments happened there, right? Because they didn't have the leadership skills capable to translate into this type of format. You have to have the ability to connect with people, whether it's on the phone, it's through Zoom or it's in person. And when I hear that as I see that that's an excuse to me, it just, and I don't fault everybody, um, especially leaders who just say, you know, we've got to get everybody back in the office because that's how we built our culture. And that's not really true. The culture that you had then wasn't probably healthy either, but it was survivable and it was the rule. So people decided to go to the office every day. That wasn't the culture was you lucked into having really great people that you hired. But right. if you are intentionally building a culture, it doesn't matter how it works. I have people that work for me all over the country and it's the culture that we have is tight knit. It's fun. It's spontaneous. It's we're driving things, but 
that's because that's what we're intentionally doing. It's not because it just happened to turn out that way. Right. And we're doing it all virtually. And we'll see each other on occasion in person. But what this, but the world has shifted. And so when we're not spending time building those relational skills, those emotionally based skills, those necessary skills to be um, a top leader in your profession, that's where we're seeing the wheels fall off for some people. Absolutely. And I think it's great points. And as we wind down a little bit, I ask this with everybody and I'm always fascinated because it's never been the same answer twice. So I'm curious as you're putting all this effort and you're really mentoring and coaching people to further themselves across so many different avenues, what's the legacy you want to leave on the world through these efforts? So years ago, if you had asked me that, I'd say, oh, I want people to remember your books. I want people to remember you. And it's not that. And I, because I don't think that's what my gifts are about. I want people to maybe be able to trace the lineage and say, yeah, I worked with her at some point and she was terrific. What I really care about is making other leaders be better leaders of their people. If I can do that's the right legacy. That's a big part of it. The other piece of it, I'll say the selfish side is I want to create environments that my two children, I have two girls, are going to go into. I want them to have a healthier world of work and to see more opportunities for them as women in the workplace. I think that is still an evolving that's still an evolving landscape and it's not getting any easier at the moment when it should be. So if I can be doing things to help create, whether it's ecosystems of entrepreneurship here where I live to helping make healthier companies that also are inclusive and that they can see themselves as potentially being a leader of those companies, then I think that's all the legacy that I need. I absolutely love that. And you're obviously well on your way to accomplishing that legacy. And I'm excited to see where it goes from this point forward. And I want to make sure the audience has an opportunity to connect with you, follow you, see more of your content, engage with you. What would be the best way for them to take that next step and then engage with you? Sure. So you can go to my website, colibrimagic.com. I know that'll be in the show notes. I'm also on TikTok, Instagram, and LinkedIn, and I accept people. So if you said, hey, I heard you on Zach's podcast, come on in. I would love to connect with you. Absolutely love it. Be sure to check all of that out. And of course, as usual, Katie's going to be coming back for our Tactical Friday episode. Looking forward to uh, taking a little bit deeper dive on some of these topics. Katie, thanks so much for being here today. Thanks, Zach. Really appreciate you, man. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Tactical Leader Podcast. If this episode helped you along your journey of self-mastery and has inspired you to do more, I challenge you to head over to myvoicechallenge.com so you can find out how you can discover your voice, claim your independence, and build that thriving business that you've always wanted. Again, that's myvoicechallenge.com.